I'm going to read to you from Isaiah chapter 9, and then um, I'll pray for us and we'll get started. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of of the peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with the righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to be patient. God, help us to be patient for your return. God, help us to be be patient as you are fitting us for heaven. Help us to be patient as you work in our hearts. God, help us to be mindful of your compassion, of your pity on us. Help us to be mindful of the love that you have for us. God, help us to be mindful that you are the Emmanuel God with us that you were willing to send your son to be here among us and to not leave us as orphans, but as he ascended into heaven, that you've given us your Holy Spirit, another part of you to be with us, to counsel us, to guide us, to show us your mighty hand, to reveal to us that you are the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So God, as we study your word this morning, God, help us to be mindful of who you are. We treasure these words from you, revealed to us about you, so we can know more and more about how wonderful you are. Speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just be honest with yourself this morning. Have you ever given up on something? Maybe you were waiting in line somewhere and you just decided it's not worth it. You know, maybe it was uh, in line for uh, for some brisket tacos, or maybe it was you were in line for some great deal on a TV on uh, Black Friday, or maybe you were in line for uh, for your driver's license and you decided, you know what, it's just not worth it. Can you imagine waiting in line? Uh, some of you might have this happening soon. Can you imagine waiting in line at the courthouse for uh, for application for marriage license, and then whoever you're about to marry look at you and say, this line is long. And you say, yeah, I know, but it's worth it. And they say to you, you know what? It's just not worth it. What what do you mean it's not worth it? Yeah, it's not worth waiting in line and getting this marriage license. But this is the process. This is what we uh, are engaged to do. We're we're going to get this marriage license. We're going to make it legal in our our country for us to be married. And and the, the conversation happens there. And somebody just decides, you know what? Waiting in this line is just not, it's just not worth it. And so they turn around and they walk away from that. I mean, you've done this in some sense. Uh, you know, uh, Friday, just a real personal story. I was waiting in line to get a haircut, or all my hair's cut, and uh, on top of my head anyways. And uh, I was waiting in line, and, and the little sign on the screen said it was going to be an hour and seven minute wait. And about that time, Mandy had texted me, and, and she was asking what I was up to. And I said, well, I'm waiting in line to get a haircut, but I don't know that it's worth it. 
And uh, she responded, probably not. You know, it's probably not. Hour and seven minutes just for a haircut. It was not the best haircut I've had in all my life, but still it was a haircut, right? And I got all of them cut, and man, look how good I look today. You know what I'm saying? So it was worth it, wasn't it? Some of you are like, praise Jesus that you got your hairs cut. But we all, are, we all experience that at some point, drive-through lines, lines somewhere. Uh, but you think about just uh, in that impatience that we have, uh, how we begin to look to other things for, uh, for filling that void. Uh, you know what? This isn't worth it, so I'm going to go somewhere else. You've done that, right? You waited in line at one restaurant. This happened to us this past July. We waited in, one, in line at one restaurant and said it's not worth it, so we go to another place. And we wait in line there, thinking it's going to be worth it there. And we get to the end of the line and, and, and order or whatever the case may be, and we, we realize, you know what? It probably wasn't worth it here either, but we did it anyways, and we fought through. And I think life really, as, follow, as followers of Jesus, we're, we're kind of in that waiting line, you know, and then... And we tend to, uh, to, to look to things of this world. We tend to look around and say, is this really worth it? Is what the goal that I'm trying to get to or the reward that, that lies ahead, is it true? Is it truly worth it? And the only way to really to be convinced that living for Christ to making him your treasure, making him your greatest pleasure in life, all your joy wrapped up in him, the only way for you to, to truly decide is if, is if that's worth it, if Christ is worth it, is to see the love that he has for you. And so this is, again, a difficult sermon to preach because I'm, I'm going to preach to you about the love that Christ has for you. But I can't convince you to experience that or to accept it or to grab a hold of it and say it is worth it for your own life. This is something that you're going to have to do for yourself, whatever age you are. However long you've been walking with Christ or you're not walking with Christ, you have to decide on your own. Just a few months ago, we preached through a series on love. We preached through the book of or the chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. And so if you want to, you can go back and listen to those. I don't need to go into a long detail about what love actually is and how Christ kind of sums all that love up and try and woo you into uh, into being in love with Jesus, but at some point you're going to have to decide, is this love that Christ has for me, is it worth living my whole entire life for? Is it worth waiting for that, that final reward of being with him eternally? Is it really, is it really worth it? And I know you're not asking that on Monday morning necessarily, uh, but when you have those trials that come your way, and just like as we preached last week, as we're looking to uh, considering those trials joy, uh, rejoicing in those moments, uh, are we going to say that Christ is worth it? The love that he has for us and the love that, that he uh, wants for, from us, uh, is it really worth living for? Is it really worth giving my entire, my entire life for? I read in a book just not too long ago, uh, a book about soul shaping, about um, as leaders how we want to uh, want Christ to be, uh, like we just sang in a way, in the manger of fitting our, our lives for heaven or, or uh, transforming us into the likeness of Christ and our souls being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Uh, thinking about someone running a marathon. And maybe we've talked about this before with you, but you know, somebody that runs a marathon, I never have, and I probably never will, uh, but there's a list of folks who uh, sign up for the marathon and start the marathon, and at the end of the, uh, all the times, you know, Clay ran this fast and Zach ran this slow, or whatever the case may be, uh, at the very end of there, there's Matt's name, and, and by Matt's name, it says DNF, did not finish. He gave up. He didn't finish the race. He, he didn't finish. He didn't complete the task. And so I think the only way for you to, to finish the task that Christ has for you, uh, the only way for you to continue waiting patiently for his return or continue waiting patiently in line for the reward of being with him eternally is to look towards the love that he has for you, the love that he has for me, the love that he has for the entire world. And then let that persuade us in our, every, in our, everyday, in our everyday life. You know difficult people to love, right? 
and you think, there's no way I would love you except that Christ is being changed, is, has been changing me. And so because Christ has changed me, that's the reason why I could love you. And then the, then the easy people who love in the world, you just kind of do that out of habit. Like, man, you're, you're an easy folk to, to, to love. And so I'm not even depending on the Lord for that. But as followers of Jesus, what we're, what we're uh, wanting or, or, or what we're needing for our life is for Christ to completely change us. And then in that being changed by him, we're producing the fruit of love that he desires for us to, to produce. You know, he tells us that we can't produce anything or, or accomplish anything if we're not abiding in him. So we can't expect to, to finish the race or to, to wait patiently or to produce love that he, he desires of us if we're not abiding, constantly abiding in him. So I want you to turn to John chapter 3. There's a real familiar verse in John chapter 3, uh, verse 16. I think you're familiar with it, John 3:16. Many of you use it as a password. For, your, for many of your counts, because it's an easy thing to remember because you've been in church for a long time. John 3.16, many of you have it memorized in an old uh, English language because that's the way you were taught. And uh, you start reciting it, and somebody else tries to correct you because you use different contemporary language, and, uh, and you, know, you get kind of confused. So I, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to um, read all the way up to, and you've heard the story before of Nicodemus, but I want to read up to John chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 16, with the mindset of this love that God has for us, that God loved us so much that he would act upon his love, uh, that he would send his son to come and be among us to save us. John chapter 3, verse 1 says this, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So you're familiar with this, right? A Pharisee is a religious guy, a religious teacher, someone who's, who's leading the religious uh, people. And it just so happens that he also, in this being a Pharisee, he's, he's a high-class Pharisee. He's actually a ruler of the Jews, that the Jews look to him for leadership. They look to him for, for, um, for direction. They look to him for, um, you know, for what religiously they should be doing, but also what secularly they should be doing. As a Jewish person, this guy, uh, Nicodemus, he's going to be the one directing us. Somebody that's of uh, you know, a great uh, value to the community, to the religious community. Someone that's looked to as a spiritual leader, leader in the whole community. Verse 2 says this, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he makes this bold statement. We recognize that you, that you are coming from God, that the things that you're doing, the, the things that you're saying, the things that you're teaching, they're coming from, from God. You have been sent by God. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he's just making this real direct uh, statement to Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, reborn, regenerate, unless you've been reborn again, you cannot see these things of the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus this great, highly educated guy, this ruler, this man that people are looking to for leading, he says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? It's a great common sense question. If Jesus was to come to you today and say, you must be born again, you may have the same question. But how can I be born again? This makes no sense, right? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Come on, Jesus. Like you've come from God, and now all of a sudden it seems like you're showing some ignorance here. Can this actually happen? You already know the story. I'm looking at your faces. You're familiar with it. You're asking, why is he preaching this to me again? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So verse 9 says, Nicodemus said to them, How can these things be? So how am I going to put this into practice? How am I going to live by this? What am I supposed to do? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Come on, of all things, of all people, you should know, you should see what's happening here. And truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So we're talking about Christmas. I mean, this is what's happening. Christ coming to earth. He was already in heaven. He left heaven. He descended onto the earth to come here and be with us and then ascended back into heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So we see that Jesus coming to earth is significant. Um, It wasn't just like, let's put the plan together once you get there. That's kind of how I act a lot of times. Uh, David, you know, we're Christmas caroling tonight, and and our personalities are a little bit different. I'm like, let's just show up and pick some songs and sing. He's like, well, we need to have a route. Let's go here. Who are we singing to? I don't know. Let's just see what happens. God wasn't that way. He sends Jesus here with a plan, a plan to save all the world through his son. Verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish or should not die but have eternal life. I mean, this is the plan that God is putting together through the accomplishment or through the life of Jesus. That Jesus would come to this earth, Emmanuel, with us. That he would live this life perfectly so he could offer up his life as a sacrifice for all sin so that those who believe in him might not die but have eternal life. So you you have to be mindful of the fact that when Christ comes lowly in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, the plan is not that he would be loved necessarily, or that he would just show expressions of love. But in his love for us, he recognizes our, our pitiful state. He recognizes the wrath that should be given to us. He recognizes how sin is so detrimental to our lives that it leads us to death. And in that, he says, let me send my son and a plan to to forgive these folks, to forgive these sinners so that they may have life and have life eternal. They may be forgiven of their sins forever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So So in our world today, we do a lot of worshiping of love. I mean, we want love. We desperately long for it. We have a desire for love. You want to be loved. You want to be known. You want to be needed. You want to be loved so desperately. And in that, we, we make love this idol almost. I mean, think about Christmas, Christmas movies that you've watched. Maybe contemporary ones or even ones from, from the past. Think about how it's wrapped around love and there's a happy ending to the story and, and how everything works out in the end and though you were home alone, now all your family's returned and that, though you didn't feel loved, now you do feel loved and then you found a cool little gold nugget on the ground or whatever the case may be, you, you, you're, you're wanting to or desiring to be, to be loved. And so we begin to, to worship love. We, we look for love in, in, in several places or like a country song, we look for love in all the wrong places and we think that we're going to find love in these places. And so we even say that with Christ. We say that he came here because he, he loved us, right? Scripture says this, for God so loved the world. But was it just about the expression or the characteristic of love? Was it just about that Christ wanted to come and show you and demonstrate what true love looks like? 
Sometimes we look at that and say, he was such a great example of love. But my hope is this, that you would gain an understanding this morning that it's so much more than that. It's so much more than just the attribute or the characteristic of love that Christ is demonstrating. He knows all about you. He knows all about me. He knows my weak state, my, my desperate need of salvation. He knows my desperate need for God. And in that, he says, I'm going to go to the earth, being sent by the Father, to reconcile the sinner to the Father. Not just as an expression of love, because this is what they desperately, they desperately need. Uh, in 1950, some of you remember this. In 1950, a man by the name of Hank Williams Sr. wrote a song. It became number one. I want you to listen to the song, or to the lyrics from this old song. See if you, this resonates with you today. Okay, it's a country song, so Zach's going to tune me out because he hates country. Uh, pray for him. But here it is, all right? Why don't you love me like you used to do? You know it already? How come you treat me like a worn-out shoe? My hair is still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? Okay, that's the first line or the first opening lines, the first verse of this song. You know the chorus. It gets a little PG. I'm going to read it to you, though, so just beware, parents. I ain't had no loving like a hugging and a kissing in a long, long while. We don't get nearer or further or closer than a country mile. So Hank Williams Sr., he's having some issues. He's having some love issues. He's wrapping up his love on material earthly things. Why don't you love me like you used to do? Remember how you used to love me? Instead, you're, you're loving me and you treat me now like a worn-out shoe. That's not how true love is, is it? I mean, look at me. My hair is still curly. My eyes are still blue. Why aren't you loving me like you used to do? See, Hank Williams is, is hoping that whoever his lover is uh, would still see them in the good that he sees in himself. Remember how good I was? Why, why, aren't, why is your love for me changed? I mean, are you seeing negative things in me? You're seeing, uh, seeing how maybe I'm not the way that I used to be, and so you've changed your, you've changed your love for me. You, remember, remember these good things about me. It's funny because he, he, he points out two easy things to remember. Remember my curly hair? Remember how it used to be this color or this, this style and how much, how much there was of it? Remember my eyes? Remember how you looked into my eyes and you saw how blue they are? Look back at those things. Remember that good in me. Then he says this in the second part. He says, why don't you, uh, why don't you spark me like you used to do and say sweet nothings like you used to coo? This is great country music. This is a great rap. In the same old trouble that you've always been through, so why don't you love me like you used to do? Let's get back to this original type of love. Well, why don't you just be like you used to be? Come on, this is your fault now. Like, I haven't changed. Look at my eyes. Look at my curly hair. You used to say all these things, but you're not saying anymore. Why don't you love me like you used to do? How come you find so many faults with me? Somebody's changed, so let me give you a clue. It ain't me, right? He's saying, somebody's changed, but it ain't me. Why don't you love me? like he used to do. He goes back to that hugging and kissing thing again and uh, you know all that stuff. And he ends by saying this, why don't you say the things you used to say? What makes you treat me like a piece of clay? My hair is still curly and my eyes are still blue. Why don't you love me like you used to do? Now I know that's simple and that's Hank Williams and that's 1950s and some of you are like, man, I'm so glad we've moved past that. We're into a different era now. Uh, but still, is this not like at the heart of all of us? Like we look at ourselves and we say, I'm still good, right? Like, I, I still have hearing, or I still have eyesight, or I still have curly hair, or I still have blue. Like, I'm still lovable, right? I mean, look at me at some point. Can't you see that I'm still lovable? See, the, the gospel says this about Christ's love for us. Like, he saw us in our weak state, 
He saw us at the moment when we were not lovable, full of sin, full of pride, full of greed, full of lust, all these things. He sees us in that moment and says, no one should love you, but I do. Read the book of Hosea. I mean, this is God's word to the Israelites. No one should be loving this prostitute, but yet I do. Why is that? Because God, he shows this, demonstrates this great character of love. He sees us not as people who are deserving of love. He sees us not as people who, who are, there's some good in you, so I'm going to go love these, these people who have a little bit of good in you. But instead he sees us in our weak state and he says, I'm going to love you despite who you are because I am God. I mean, we look for these. We tend to, to worship love. We want it so badly. We love, uh, we love the love that's in movies. We love the love that's in stories. We love the perfect endings. And we tend to worship these material things, the things that we can hold on to, the things that we can hug, the things that we can kiss, the things that we can taste, the things that we can show off, whatever it may be. I know my husband loves me because look at the ring I have, because look at the car I have, because look at the gun he gave me, whatever the case may be. I know my wife loves me because she cooks, she cleans, she clips my toenails, whatever the case may be. Like we're, we're demonstrating, we're saying these are the things. Look at how he loves me or she loves me because of these things that they've done for me. I know my parents love me because, they, because look at the presents under the tree or look at the phone that they gave me or look at the clothes that I have or the car, the allowance. Look at these things that they've done for me. I know my friends love me because of this. Or I know my teachers, my boss, my company, my church, whatever it is. It's usually we, we label that and define it because of something material. We look at it and say, when these things fail, when my wife stops loving me, when my husband starts loving me, when my parents stop loving me, grandparents, when my friends, when my, my work, my boss, my company, my church, my dog, whoever it is, when they stop loving me, it's not my fault. Who's changed? Let me give you a clue like Hank Williams says. It ain't me that's changed. I'm still good. I'm still lovable. Why don't you love me like you used to do? We have to get to this point in this advent, this coming of Christ, this recognition of who he is, get to the point of the gospel, that God recognizes who we are, and that really we're not lovable. We're corrupt. We're sinners. We're in a lowly state that no one should love. Yet God sees us, and seeing who we truly are behind closed doors, Listening to our thoughts, knowing everything about us, he says, let me send my son to save you from yourself. Let me send my son to save you from your sin. Though you may not be worthy of that, still I find worth in you. And so with that, I'm going to send my son to save you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not holding on to something material. Not coming back to this well, here's how I know that God loves me. Because look what he's gave me. He's given me a house. He's given me food. He's given me clothing. Whatever the case may be. But instead recognizing God loves me because of who he is. Because of his character. Because of, because of the fact that he's God. I don't want to worship necessarily the attribute of love. But I want to recognize wholeheartedly that God has a love that's unending, never changing. That he loves always the same. We, we tend often to settle for temporary love things. Love things of this world. Love proven by gifts and things that we can see or things that fade. We tend to say that Jesus must love us within our own love language even. Like if Jesus truly loves me, he's going he's to spend time with me. He's going to communicate that love well. He's going to send me notes. He's going to do all these things. He's going he's to give me gifts or I'm, he's going to let me give him gifts and he's going to show that, that, um, that he's speaking my love language and he loves me this way. Jesus may say something more like, I'm not concerned with your love language. 
I'm concerned with your death. I'm concerned with your soul. I'm concerned with your sin. I'm concerned with your relationship with the Father. And so because of that, let me give myself up for you because I find worth in you. Tozer says this, the love of God is one of the greatest realities of the universe, a pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. He loves not masses, but he loves men. He loves us with an, all, with an almighty love that has no beginning and can have no end. The Father has not changed. He continues to love you the way he's always loved you. In the sense that he, he knows your desperate state and he sends his Son to rescue you from that. For the God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, he gives up his Son. Whom he, whom he dearly loves. Look at verse 30, 35 from the same chapter. The Father loves the Son and has given him all things into his hand. He loves his Son dearly. And he sends him to rescue us. What does verse 17 says this? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Christ has come. He's come. He has paid the penalty for death, for sin. He has provided a way to have right relationship with this loving Father. We should not give up. We should be patient. We should stand in line, in the line of Jesus, and saying we, we patiently wait for Christ to be our reward. Not looking to things of this world or, or letting our gaze go to things of this world that might, might, uh, that might t- tempt us or lure us away because, because it looks so loving, but instead we should see that there's only one love that's truly worth living for, and it's the love from the Father. John also writes in 1 John chapter 3, see what love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. We just sang this in, in a way in the manger, that we would be your kids, that, you would, that you would be, we would be your children, that we would be uh, loved by you, that you love us so much that you would send your only son to come and rescue the rest of the world so they could be sons and daughters as well. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. We'll end here together. I just want to say to you as we wrap up this morning, remind you, 1 John chapter 3, leading up to this chapter set, chapter 4, tells us about the reason for Jesus coming into the world. It's much more than just to show a great example of love or to, to love us even. There's much more to John 3.16 than just the fact that God loves us. But he knows us, and he loves us in spite of that, despite that. Verse 7 of 1 John chapter 4 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God, sorry, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. It's one of his characteristics. It's an attribute of him. It's not the definition necessarily of God, a God, the def- to divine God, you would say, uh, to divine God, you would say that he is love. It's one of his characteristics, one of the many things about him, that he is a loving God. 
God is love. And in this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Father God, love you so much that he would send your son, send his son into this world so that we might live. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. So this baby Jesus that we celebrate, this coming of Christ, this love that's demonstrated has a great plan, a great plan to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin, that we might have right relationship with the Father. How we know this? Because of what the Father has demonstrated to us, because he has seen us in our weak state, and he has, he has um, sent his Son to save us. So my hope is this. My hope is this, that you would see this Christmas as you're waiting in line somewhere, you would be reminded, let me not be tempted to quit. Let me, not, let me not be tempted to not finish. Let me see the reward of Jesus. Let me see his love, the, the love that he has lavished upon me, and see that he is worth it. And this is what I think will happen in that. As you're patiently waiting, and you're asking God, can I abide in you? Can I rest in you? Can I be with you through your son, then we get to produce this Christ-like love. And as we're abiding in Christ, Christ ruling and reigning in our hearts, and us abiding in him, then we can begin to produce fruits of the Spirit. God still loves the world. He has not stopped loving the world. How does he love the world today if his son has ascended uh, into heaven with him and he's seated at the right hand of him? How does he love the world today? He sends you and I as messengers of hope, as messengers of the gospel, to go and love the world as Christ loves the world. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, thank you. For seeing us, and though many of us could say that we're good, many of us say that there's something about us that's lovable. Many of us would look and say, look at my curly hair, my my blue eyes, and say that we are lovable. Christ, you see us for all that we are, and yet you still love us. Thank you for being the payment for our sins. Thank you for giving us hope, peace in the midst of fear, for giving us joy in the midst of trial and sorrow. God, continue to make your presence known to us so that our affection and our desire and our pleasure grows more for you. God, thank you for being among us, for not leaving us like you you promised in John 14, for not leaving us as orphans, but instead adopting us into your family through your son Jesus, giving us your Holy Spirit to live among us, inside of us. So continue to rule and reign in our hearts. Change us this morning. As we sing about the Emmanuel this morning, God, let our hearts be stirred and our affection for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.